Well, I hope you uh, picked up a, a copy of the uh, uh, sermon notes. Uh, we continue our study today on uh, keys to spiritual growth. And last Sunday, uh, just sort of sum that message up, we looked at what should be the motive in all of our spiritual growth, which is simply this. I was created to glorify God, which means I was created to put on display for all to see the worth of God, the value of God. And the best way for me to display the worth of God is what? To delight in the person of God. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied with Him. Therefore, spiritual growth is all about knowing and developing a relationship with God, a God who created me, a God who knows me, who values me, who loves me. I was made to be loved by God and to, be, and to love Him, what? Forever. Forever. And it is in getting to know God, in the enjoyment of His love, that, of course, I discover my purpose in life. And I find empowerment to fulfill that purpose. So this morning, what we want to do is we want to begin to look at the means, the means that God has provided us to get to know Him, uh, to grow in a love relationship with Him, and to fulfill His purpose. And all the means of growth that we will look at over the next weeks should be viewed not as legalistic duties in the Christian life, but as means to express and find our delight in God. And, of course, that should be the motive behind it all. And today we're going to look at the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God, the Scripture, which truly is the master key uh, for all spiritual growth. Now, in introduction to this message, listen to three passages, not in your sermon notes, which simply indicate the power that is inherent in God's Word to produce spiritual growth in the life of His child. And the first passage is 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 17. Uh, all of our Awana children have this verse memorized. It's a key verse for Awana. It says, all Scripture is what? Inspired by God. And of course, inspired means what? God breathed. God literally breathed out His Word. He used human instruments, but He superintended the process in such a way to ensure the inerrancy of His Word and that these men would merely uh, write and speak His truth, uh, His message. So it's inspired by God and it's profitable. And that word profitable in the Greek text literally means it's beneficial or it's productive, or it's sufficient. So what is this God-breathed uh, Scripture profitable for? What is it beneficial for? What is it sufficient for? First, for teaching. In other words, in the Word of God, we find the complete body of instruction necessary to live a life pleasing to God. And not only for teaching, it says it's given for reproof. And that word reproof means correction. In other words, the Word of God has the ability to what? To convict us when we stray from the right path to bring us back on to the right path. The next thing it does is provide correction. That word correction means 
to restore. So the Word of God not only has the power to convict, but also once convicted to restore us back to our relationship, our fellowship with God. And then it says, for training in righteousness. In other words, the Word of God is uh, able to train us like parents would train a child uh, to grow up and be the person God intended us to be. And it says, training in righteousness, so that the man may be adequate, complete and capable, equipped for every good work. And that equipped for every good work literally means enabled to meet all the demands that a righteous God would place on his child. The second passage I'd like to share, again, emphasizing the inherent power in God's Word to produce spiritual growth is Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. It says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant and a great reward for those who obey him. And then the last passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of God's word. That by it, by the word of God, you may grow in respect to salvation. Now, I want us to look now at Jesus' parable of the sower. Or maybe a better title would be the parable of the soils. uh, That's found in Luke chapter 8, verses uh, 4 through 15. Now, in the parable, and I think most of you are familiar with it, uh, the sower represents who? God, right. The soul represents God or, or Christ. Uh, the seed represents the Word of God. So God is a sower. The seed represents the Word of God. So God is a sower, is sowing his seed, and the soil represents what? The human heart. So the parable is all about God sowing or planting his seed in the human heart that it might become embedded there, rooted there, to grow and bring forth fruit. Now, in this parable, uh, we'll discover four truths that will enable God's reward to take root in our hearts to produce spiritual growth. We will also discover in this parable some of the most common barriers that prevent God's Word from taking root and uh, allowing us to grow as God would intend. So, look in your notes at the very first truth. I must be receptive to God's Word. I must be receptive to God's Word if I'm to grow as a Christian. The primary reason people do not grow is very obvious. obvious. They are unreceptive to God's Word. They are like the first kind of soil that Jesus mentions here in the parable. Look at Luke 8, verse 5. Jesus said, A farmer went out to plant some seed, As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds came and ate it. And then in verse 12, Jesus gives the meaning. He says, the seeds that fell on the footpath 
represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Jesus shared this story in Galilee, which was a very fertile agricultural region. Uh, the landscape was literally uh, just scattered with innumerable uh, farm fields. The fields were bordered and traversed by three feet footpaths used by the farmers to move about their fields, and it also provided means for travelers uh, to walk across these fields without damaging uh, the crops. And because of the constant traffic, these footpaths would become literally as hard as a pavement, a pave, a pavement today. And when the sower spread his seed, what he's saying is some of the seed fell on these pathways, these very hard pathways, but could not uh, penetrate it due to the hardness of the soil. So the birds would come and eat the seed up, and what they missed was trampled underfoot by men. So what does the hardened path represent? Get this down in your notes. The hardened path represents a closed mind. A closed mind. You've heard of hardening of the arteries, but how about hardening of the attitude? Uh, that's a problem we often have. Uh, three times in Hebrews uh, chapters 3 and 4, the writer wrote, Today, when you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. And in Hebrews 3.8, the writer actually defines what a hard heart is. He says, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. A hard heart is simply a closed mind toward God and His Word. Now, let's have a few moments of honesty here. Are there times when you simply don't want to face God's truth? Times when you simply don't want to listen? Sort of like Krissa when she was little, when she would get, I don't think she'll mind me telling you this, when, uh, yeah, she's going, eh, whatever. Uh, when she was little and I was asking her to do something she didn't care to do, she would just turn her back to her daddy, cross her arms like I didn't exist. And uh, often we have that type of a closed mind toward God. And, and of course, the problem is your mind, your heart, uh, are not receptive to God's Word. So the question is, what causes people, uh, even believers, to close their minds to God's Word? Now, there, there are many ways you could answer that, but in your notes, I want to at least look at uh, three causes. And the first is fear. Fear. Get that down in your notes. Fear is one of the causes that uh, that uh, brings us to the place where we close our minds to God's truth. We, we, we often think, and, and I'll, I'll be very transparent, uh, I used to, this was a, a huge struggle uh, in my early Christian life. You know, you, you think, if I get close to God, you know, what if He asks me to do something I don't want to do? Or what if He turns me into a, some sort of religious nut? Or, or what if I can't have fun uh, anymore. You see, if you're afraid of what God might do in your life, it's obvious you're going to close your mind and your heart to God. But you need to understand that when the Bible talks about spiritual growth, the issue is not conforming, as we just said a moment ago, to uh, conforming to a list of do's and don'ts. That's not spiritual growth. Uh, 
It's all about conforming to what? Christ's character. It's all about growing in love, in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, would you like to develop these qualities? Then don't fear spiritual growth. Another thing that often causes us to close our minds to God is bitterness. That's the second thing to get down in your notes, bitterness. Bitterness is simply resentment over a past hurt. When you are hurt by someone or you're wounded in life's adversities, you can think, if God allowed this, then no thanks, God, just stay away. Bottom line, you can't grow spiritually when you are bitter because bitterness slams the door of your heart in the face of God. Why did God allow it to happen? I don't know, but I know this. This world is not as God intended it to be. God created man with the freedom to choose between good and evil, and sadly, we often use that freedom to do wrong things that hurt ourselves and others. I also know that God hates sin. He never condones sin. If you are hurting, I am truly sorrow. My heart goes out to you. But I want you to know that God hurts with you because He loves you. Don't turn away from God. Let your pain turn you to God, for God is the only one that can give you the comfort you need. And as you turn to God, I promise you will discover the most amazing truth. Although we live in a world that is infected with sin, suffering, sickness, and death, God still sits on the throne. And He has the ability to cause all things in life, even the bad things in life, to work together for the good of His child, for our spiritual growth, and for the greater glory of God. Another thing that often causes us to close our minds towards God and His Word is pride. Pride. Sometimes it's the pride of self-sufficiency. We think, I don't need God. I can handle it. I can figure it out myself. Sometimes it's the pride of sin. If you open your heart to the traffic of sin, eventually you will become hard toward God's truth. Have you closed your mind to God's truth and developed a hard heart? And it's possible for that to happen with a believer. Again, we see that in the book of Hebrews, that third and fourth chapter with the example of the children of Israel following the Exodus. So have you developed a hard heart, a closed mind towards God and His Word? If you have, there's really only one remedy, just one. And it's found in the next verse in your notes, Hosea 10, verse 12. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord. You need to put the plow of repentance to your heart. How? Confess sin. Confess your sin. Not only confess the for sin, turn away from it, forsake it, and return to Jesus Christ as your first love. Look at the second truth that we learn about the importance of the Word of God in spiritual growth. First, I must be receptive to God's Word. Second, I must be resolved to grow. 
Not only must I be receptive to God's Word, I must be resolved uh, to grow uh, in this relationship. I must be resolved to reciprocate. Uh, No relationship is one-sided. It's got to be two-sided if it's to really click and there's to be chemistry there. And if you don't get anything else today from this message, get this. Spiritual growth is a choice. Reality is you are as close to God this morning as you want to be. That's true of every one of us. If you are not growing spiritually, it's because you have chosen not to grow, which brings us to the second kind of soil that Jesus refers to. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 6. He says, Other seed fell on shallow soil with rock underneath. The seed began to grow, but soon it withered and died for lack of moisture. And Jesus provides the application in verse 13. Some people are like the seeds on rocky soil. They welcome the word with joy whenever they hear it, but they don't develop any roots. They believe for a while, but when their faith is tested, they abandon it. In Galilee, one problem farmers encountered was limestone rock beds that would lie beneath the soil and be undetected. Uh, These areas had no depth for the root to become embedded. Therefore, the seed immediately sprouted upward because that was the only direction that it could grow. Initially, there was the appearance of life. There was the appearance of growth, but it was counterfeit, and it only ended in disappointment uh, for the poor, poor farmer. So what does the shallow soil represent? Get it down in your notes. The shallow soil is a superficial commitment. Superficial commitment. The shallow soil represents superficial commitment. Notice Jesus said they welcome the word with joy when they hear it. Have you ever gotten excited when you heard a Bible lesson or a sermon that really seemed to touch you? But then you walked out the door and absolutely nothing changed. You were thrilled by God's word, but you were not transformed. Why? Because there was no root. There was no depth. There was no resolve to grow. Look at James chapter 1, verse 22. Don't only hear the message, but put it, what? Into practice. Otherwise, you're merely deluding yourself. Now listen, beloved. Coming to church can actually be a very dangerous thing to do. I mean, you can hear someone else talk about God, someone else talk about spiritual growth, and, go, go, and you can go away thinking somehow you've grown spiritually. Now, this next passage is not in your notes, but listen very, very carefully. Very powerful pa- passage. Ezekiel 33, verses 30 to 32. God says, They speak to one another, referring to the people of God. They speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. And they come to you, referring that they come to the prophet, they come to the preacher. As people come, and they sit before you as my people. And they hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. And behold, you, the preacher, you are to them like a sensual song. 
you're entertaining them by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. The truth is, until you put God's word into practice, you've not grown. It's not how much you know, but how much you put into practice. Look at the third truth. I must be ruthless with distractions. And again, as we walk through this, keep in mind, the motive is what? Pursuing this love relationship with God. And, and, the, and the more I value that relationship, uh, the more ruthless I will be with the distractions and anything that's going to keep me from enjoying this relationship. Same with my wife, Kathy. If I truly value this relationship, I will be ruthless towards anything that would creep in and, and deter my enjoyment of this relationship or us further developing the relationship. And bottom line, there is nothing more important than spiritual growth. And that is why the devil will do everything in his power to distract you. And look at the third kind of soil in Luke 8, verse 7. He says, some seed fell among thorny weeds, but the weeds grew up with it and choked the good plants. Look at eight, uh, Luke 8, 14, which provides the meaning. The thorny ground, Jesus says, represents those who hear and accept the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. I would suggest you circle the word choked in verse 7 and crowded out in verse 14. Jesus is saying, if you're not careful, the seed of God's Word can literally be choked out by weeds in your life. So what does the soil with weeds represent? Get it down in your notes. The soil with weeds represents an overcrowded life. An overcrowded life. We can define a weed very simply in this context. It's simply anything that crowds God out and keeps you from growing spiritually just that simple. It's anything in your life that would crowd God out and keep you from growing spiritually. So it doesn't necessarily have to be all bad things. It can be good things. I mean, Jesus specifically mentions three weeds, cares, riches, and pleasures. Nothing wrong with caring. Nothing wrong with riches. Nothing wrong with experiencing pleasure. But when your focus is so much on those things that they crowd God out, there's something terribly wrong. Matter of fact, the word care there is marimnero in the, in the Greek text. And you've heard me share this before. It's the word that's most often translated worry or anxiety. And it, the word literally means to divide or distract. So this is where you're so focused on what might or might not happen in the future that you totally lose God as a present reality. And you're not walking in faith. You're walking in fear. You're walking in anxiety. And, of course, riches here is he's talking about an excessive pursuit of riches where it's, it's more important to you to increase your standard of living than your standard of giving to express your love and adoration for Christ. And, of course, pleasures is pursuing pleasures apart from God. We talked a lot last week about you could actually define Christianity as the pursuit of pleasure as, you, as long as you acknowledge that true pleasure, true joy is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do you do with weeds? All you gardeners know, my wife knows, she's a gardener, you uproot them. 
You pull them out. You eliminate them. So you need, need to ask, what needs to be uprooted in my life? What needs to be eliminated from my schedule so that I would have more time for spiritual growth? And so think of one thing in your life or one thing in your schedule that is pulling you away from God. Write it down and then eliminate it by replacing it by getting involved in a Bible study, uh, by uh, uh, spending more time in prayer, devotions, or some ministry. And those two passages there, we won't take the time. I would encourage you to look them up. James 1 and 1 Peter 2 talks about this thing of being ruthless and eliminating anything that's going to crowd God out. So look at the fourth truth, the fourth truth. So I must be uh, receptive uh, to God's Word. As we saw the very first truth, I must be resolved to grow. I must be ruthless with distractions. And now this fourth truth, I must be responsive to God's Word. I must be responsive to God's Word. Look at, uh, uh, well, in in, uh, Luke 8, of course, he talks about the seed that is sown on good ground and produces fruit a hundredfold. And then in verse 15, he gives the meaning, the application. He says, and the seed that fell on the good ground is like those who hear God's teaching with good, honest hearts and what? Obey it and patiently produce good fruit. I mentioned there to compare James 1, verses 21 through 25. Listen to this passage. He says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. There's pulling those weeds and humbly accept the Word of God. That's receiving it, right? Being receptive to the Word of God. That word accept in the Greek means to welcome it. And to welcome it, bring it into your life with the motive to obey it, to put it into practice. So it's humbly accept the Word of God uh, that He, that God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. It's not just talking about the initial conversion, but as you then go forward in your Christian life, this Word has the power to bring you deliverance. It has the power to enable spiritual growth. But then he says, but don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. In other words, he says, it's like going to a mirror and you see your face needs to be combed or your, fa- or your hair needs to be combed and your face needs to be washed. But instead of doing anything about it, you just walk away. But he says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law, into the, referring to the Word of God that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it, for doing it. Now, uh, look at that little next section. Uh, this is one of my favorite sections in Scripture. I wanted to just share something practical with you on how to respond to God's Word. And this is one of the most uh, beautiful passages I know to do that. And that's Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 8. I think most of you are familiar with the story of Nehemiah, how God sent him back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity to rebuild the walls, to, rebu- to, uh, to rebuild the city. Uh, and so there's a massive uh, renovation process that went on. But often what is lost in this book is going hand-in-hand hand with the uh, physical renovations is this 
spiritual renewal and revival that the, that the people experienced. And this is actually known as the uh, revival at the, uh, at the Watergate uh, because it's where it, it took place. And you see uh, in the people of God what it means to properly respond to God's Word. So let's look at this very, very quickly. The people were first enthusiastic. The people were enthusiastic. Look at Nehemiah 8.1. And the people assembled with a unified purpose. They asked Ezra the priest to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. Notice, who initiated this? It wasn't the preacher. It was the people. The people, it says, came with one unified purpose. And they went to the priest. They went to the scribe. They went to the preacher, Ezra. And they said, please teach us God's Word. So, what does this tell us? Every time you come to God's Word, whether it's in your personal devotions or whether it's in a Sunday school class or you're coming into the worship service, you should come with enthusiasm. You should examine your emotions and those things that could possibly be distracting you for giving your, uh, that enthusiasm to the Word of God and come believing that God is going to speak to you and with a commitment ahead of time to obey what God says to you. Look at the second thing. The people were not only enthusiastic, they were attentive. They were attentive. Uh, Nehemiah 8.3 says, And he read from it, read from the Word, from early morning until midday. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now that's some attentiveness. As he began reading from early morning until midday. And how all the people were attentive to the book. So we not only must be enthusiastic, but we need to come engaged with our minds to be attentive on what God's Word says and what we're being taught. And then notice the third thing, very important. The people were not only enthusiastic, attentive, but they were submissive to God's Word. Nehemiah 8.6 says, Then Ezra blessed the Lord the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. In other words, so be it. While lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In other words, with that attitude, what saith my Lord to his servant? In other words, in bowing down, they were saying, we submit to your authority to serve your agenda, to seek your approval, to be walking, living epistles of your truth. And then notice the fourth thing, the people were teachable. The people were teachable in verses 7 and 8. The Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. It's basically what we're doing right here this morning. And so the people were enthusiastic, they were attentive, submissive, teachable, and it's seen because following this, they put God's Word into practice. They obey it. They even enter a covenant with one another to keep God's Word. And then I want to close this morning with the power of meditating on God's Word. And the reason I close with this, and I've shared this at other times in the church, I've often said if there was one practical teaching I could only give a new believer, what would it be? And it would be this right here. This has had the greatest impact on Andy Merritt's life than any other thing that I've practiced on my, in my life, and that's meditating on the Scripture. I was confronted with this early in my Christian life, and began to develop uh, this habit where, to be honest, it's, all, it's second nature to me uh, now in many ways. 
Uh, and let me just walk through this with you. It's, it's not complicated. It's extremely simple, but its benefits are great. I think you know all the wonderful promises related to meditating on God's Word, how He'll give you peace. He'll give you your provision. He'll give you joy. He'll give you success in uh, accomplishing His will for your life. And we could just go on and on. So many promises related to this. And, and the thing that most people miss is that in the Hebrew text, there's three different words, three totally different Hebrew words that are translated meditate in our English Bible. And when you see all three of these words and then sort of put them together, you see this beautiful process of what true meditation is. And step one is to memorize God's Word. Look at Psalm 1, uh, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So you see there in your notes, the word meditates is Haggah in the Hebrew. It literally means a pleasant, repetitive pondering of the Scripture as I dwell on portions of the Scripture in my mind just over and over. That's what that word literally means. So, to be very honest, I wouldn't get hung up on the word to memorize. I mean, if that scares you, just throw that out. The, the key is, where meditation begins, is I take a portion of Scripture. And I just, I just dwell on that. And I ponder over it over and over and over in my mind. What, what I used to do early in my Christian life, I would take, uh, I would take books of the New Testament. Uh, the epistles of uh, Paul, Peter, John. And I would, I would just slowly read through the entirety of that book in one sitting. And I would do that multiple times over a week. And it's amazing. You know, I may not have that memorized, but what you grasp. We used to, uh, Kathy will tell you, we used to play a little game when we would be on uh, trips in the car when the kids were little. And uh, we, we would give them Bibles uh, in, in, in the New Testament and they could go to any chapter go any verse and they would read the verse and then they would see if I could say, tell them the book and the chapter and they will tell you that I was remarkably accurate and I'm not saying that to brag on myself I'm, I'm just saying what happened I, I, didn't, I didn't enter this with, with, with the purpose to gain that but as I just pondered the scripture that repetitive pondering murmuring over it uh, you, you begin to grasp uh, the, the Scripture. And then, and then as you walk through life and you encounter trials and temptations and challenges, God is able to bring that Word to your mind, to your heart, to provide the guidance you need, the direction you need, often the correction uh, that you need. So that's where it begins. Just this, this, this repetitive pondering of the Scripture where you're, you're dwelling on a passage and just going over and over and over again in your mind. But it doesn't stop there. That's often where most people stop. They think meditation is just memorizing Scripture or pondering on it. Look at step two. I have to personalize God's Word. It's everything we've been talking about today, being receptive and responsive to God's Word. Psalm 119, and I shall delight in thy commandments, which I love, and I will lift up my hands to thy commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on thy statutes. Now, meditate here is shakah in the Hebrew text, a totally different word. The word refers to having a deep devotion that leads to quiet reflection. This is where I take the scripture that I've been pondering, meditating over, and I personalize it in order to bring my life in harmony to God's word through obedience. You understand? 
like, uh, again, uh, uh, Philippians 2. I, I was looking at that the other day. Uh, uh, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of us regard one another as more important than himself. Don't look merely to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And let this attitude be in you, which was in also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to selfishly grasp, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in his appearance as men. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, folks, I never set out, to be honest, to memorize that passage. Just, I just, it's, it's just pondering it over the, over the years. You, you just be, you begin to grasp that. But I, you don't stop there. Now I go to this next step, to person. Do nothing from self. What does that mean in Andy Merritt's life? What does that mean in relating to my wife, to my children, to my neighbors, to my church family, to a lost world? What does it mean for me? To think of others more important than myself. I need to put names in those blanks. And then how do I actually do that? What does it mean to empty myself of my rights and to focus on the welfare of others? What does it mean to be a servant to my wife, to my children, to my church family, to others? So I take that, that I go from that first step where I'm just mulling over the scriptures, repetitively pondering over, and now I begin to personalize it. Okay, what does this mean what, for Andy? What are the implications in my life where I'm at at this point in my life? And how do I need to bring my life in harmony to God's word by obeying it? But it doesn't stop there. Look at the third and final step. And this is where it gets good. And this is where you actualize God's word. Uh, let me tell you what I mean by that. Psalm 1914. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Meditation here, that word is higion in the Hebrew, and it literally means a musical notation and refers to a musical repetition of God's word. This is singing God's word in praise and worship. So notice this. Now, don't get hung up on the singing. Yes, it's great to sing God's word as we did today. But look at the principle underneath, and here it is. So meditation begins with what? With memorizing Scripture. Again, if you don't like that memorizing Scripture, just pondering over the Scriptures in a repetitive way in your mind. Then it moves to personalizing the Scripture, and then it should always end with what? Worshiping the author of Scripture. Whether it's in singing or what, it's worshiping Him. It's glorifying Him, finding my delight, my satisfaction in Him. And it's in the process of worship that you encounter the person and the power of God to discover and fulfill God's plan for your life. Let me say that again. It is in the process of worshiping God, finding your delight in God, finding your satisfaction in God that you experience the person and the power of God to discover and fulfill God's purpose in your life. So again, uh, we're beginning to look at the means that God has given us to enhance our relationship with Him in order that we might spiritually grow to accomplish the plan, the purposes that He has for our lives. And I hope that we've seen today that the master key in all of the spiritual growth is God's Word. Because it's in God's Word that I discover what? Who God is. What God is like. I discover His character. 
I discover the character he desires of me, the conduct. I discover how to experience that relationship, to know intimacy with God, to connect with God, again, to know his person and his power in my life. And so, what I would suggest is you not just see these as sermon notes, you see this as a worksheet. And you take this, and not only this message, but the ones that will come behind it. We'll be dealing with prayer. We'll be dealing with uh, how the Holy Spirit leads. We'll be dealing with a lot of practical things. So view these as worksheets that you're to take home with you. And then you get alone, and you walk through this. And you do a spiritual inventory of your life. The very thing we were just talking about, pondering over it. Taking this, okay, personalizing it for you. And then acting on it. And that's where growth comes. And it's one step at a time. One step, and as we said in the first message, and it's often not just a, a, just a constant upward progress. Often it's one step forward, two steps back. The important thing is just keep pointed in the right direction, keeping your eyes on Christ, and trusting Him to give you the grace and the empowerment to go forward. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Uh, Thank you for the practicality of your word. Uh, Thank you, as the book of Hebrews tells us, that your word is living. It is powerful. It is active. It has inherent life to accomplish your purposes in us. And it's just as simple for us to be receptive to your word, to be responsive to your word, which implants your word in our hearts, enabling you then to produce that fruit that you desire, that fruit being the reproduction of Christ's life in us and through us, that you might be magnified and glorified. So, Lord, uh, uh, we pray you would deep, do a deep work in our hearts and lives, uh, that you would give us uh, a passion for your word, uh, a passion to learn it, to love it, and then to live it. And we'll trust you for it, for it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As the invitation is extended, as you saw in the parable, um, you know, I was speaking to Christians and about the need to cultivate our relationship with Christ and to deal with those things that would maybe block our receptivity or responsiveness to God's Word. But you could be here and you don't know Christ. Uh, You need God to do a transforming work in your heart uh, to put you in a position where you can know that receptivity and that responsiveness. And of course, as you've heard today and uh, through the song service and even in parts of the message, uh, God loves you. He created you. He knows you. He values. He loves you. And he demonstrated that by sending Christ to Calvary's cross to die there in your place for the penalty of your sin. And he rose again and he's alive. And He extends to you the gift of forgiveness, the gift of new life. And that's where it all begins. That's why Jesus used the term, you're born again. But but there has to be a a beginning. Uh, You can't grow until there's life. And so I guess that's my admonition. Are you confident that you have life? If not, nail that down, and then you can begin to grow. I know most of you here, you do have life. Uh, but has your spiritual growth become retarded because of some of the things that we've been talking about uh, today? So deal with that. Maybe you need to take that plow of repentance right now 
to your heart to confess and forsake and return to Christ as your first love and get back on that path of growth. So as the invitation extended, uh, you do business with God in your own heart. As uh, the song is shared, I'll be here to receive anyone that has a public decision, profession of faith, or like to unite with the church or ask for prayer. So please stand as the invitation is extended.